Hi, SBC. This is Val from Salbon Cell. Hi, Kathy from. <laughs> and that's Pia. It's also Salbon Cell, and this is Pia. Hi, it's Fiona. Missing you guys. Hi there. I'm Jackie. Hi, everyone. Anton here. Hi, John. Lisa. Sharon. Hi. Blacker guys, we love you all. We hope to see you guys soon. Bye. 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 -bye. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, SBC. Missing all our face-to-face -face fellowship, but until one day when we can again, let's all be safe. Good morning, SBC. My name's Sarah, a friendly greeting all the way from Newton Bay. I hope you guys are doing well and keeping safe and wearing those face masks. It's been so long and I miss everybody so very much that I cannot wait for the day that I can come up to you and give you my nice warm big friendly hug. Keep well, take care and keep safe. Bye! Hello Sterling Baptist Church. I've missed you all but I'm enjoying myself here at Nadia's place. I just want to give you this little reading from Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 17 2.19 Though the fig tree doesn't blossom and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer enables me to go on the heights. God bless all and keep strong and keep your faith in God, not in anything here on this earth. <laughs> Welcome to the Service Church. We're so glad you've joined us. We're excited to dive into our second Song of Salvation today that we brought to us by Joe Prince. I have one announcement to bring to your attention first, and that is that this coming Wednesday, 7 o'clock, we would love it if you would join us for a time of combined prayer here on our Facebook page. We're going to seek the Lord together and intercede for our city, so please do prioritize that time with us. I'm going to hand over to Matt. He's got an announcement to bring to us, and then we'll dive into the rest of the service. Remember to stay tuned after the sermon, as we'll have a time of worship together as a church. You're also welcome to worship the Lord this morning through giving by um, EFT, and you're also welcome to share with us anything God has laid on your heart for the SBC family. If you've got a verse or a picture, Anything that you feel would be an encouragement to the body this morning, please do share that in the comment section. We would love you to participate in that way. Over to Matt. Hello, SPC. I hope that you're all well. It's so good to be with you this morning and to worship God together. I just want to bring two important things to your attention on behalf of eldership today. The first is this, is it's to our parents. And we really want to encourage you and urge you as parents not to neglect faith at home in these days and the days ahead. You know, as a parent myself of two young kids, before lockdown it was wonderful. You'd bring your children, uh, drop them off at Sunday school or creche in my case, and leave them in the hands of a fantastic ministry team who would minister for an hour or an hour and a half, depending if I was preaching or not. Uh, they'd minister Jesus into our kids. You'd pick them up, carry on with the week and feel like that box was ticked, right? It was great. But in the absence of this ministry, it's again highlighted how important and how seriously we need to take our role as parents to help shepherd our children towards Christ. And I want to remind you again, parents, 
um, that uh, in God's word is very clear in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and you'll remember this from our dedication services um, at Sterling. Uh, but I want to read it for you again today from verse 4 uh, and just to remind you the call of God on our lives as parents. And here it is, it says, Hear O Israel, or hear O SBC, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. We want to remind you again, parents, that the primary mission field of your life, according to God's word, are your kids. And the primary area of discipleship in your life are your children, is your children. And so we want to encourage you not to neglect this vital part of your children's development. Now we know, and I know as a parent, how difficult this is. And so the Next Gen team's been really hard at work putting together fantastic weekly video at Discipleship Moments um, and in a moment of encouragement where they've approached parents in our church who are ahead of the curve and they've asked them to share their wisdom as to how they've done faith at home uh, as a family. And we really want to encourage you, if you aren't signed up to our current Kids Ministry WhatsApp groups, um, if you're not receiving these videos, you can do so by signing up to our, or going onto our Facebook page, um, Sterling Baptist, and you'll notice there's a group on that Facebook page called SBC Kids Ministry. Sign up in there, and the videos are posted weekly. They come out on a Wednesday morning. And we really want to encourage you to engage on the journey that we're going on as parents in this faith at home aspect of our parenting. Also, if you have a child between the ages of 3 to 12, we have a fantastic curriculum that not only um, is posted weekly with links that gives you access to online videos, um, but also has uh, activities and conversation points during the week. And so really, we want to do as much as we can to equip you as a parent to help your child discover the wonder of Jesus. If you're in the East London area, you can uh, send us a, a message on Facebook or, or WhatsApp group um, and ask to be signed up to these groups. Um, we will hand deliver a, a monthly activity pack for you, uh, which is jam-packed with wonderful resources to help your child discover the joy of Jesus. So do so. Take the next step and let's engage in the journey God is calling, to, calling us as parents to do. Um, and it's a journey, my friend, you will never regret. Right. The second thing I want to talk about today is just to say a massive thank you and to commend you as SBC on your faithfulness in giving financially. Uh, our giving for June again was stable. We were able to cover all of our costs, pay our staff and more. And because of your faithfulness to the Lord, you have been, uh, you've enabled a wonderful ministry, not only to us as an SBC community, but who knows, on this online platform to the rest of the city and the world. And so thank you for your faithfulness in giving. We just continue to encourage you to trust the Lord in these times, be faithful to his word, be faithful to see him as your provider. Um, but just to say thank you so much, uh, we want to commend you for the way that you've worshipped the Lord with your finances over these bizarre and strange months. We love you lots. We are so grateful to the Lord for you. And as an eldership, we're really trusting that today uh, the Word's going to speak to you and minister to you. Love you lots. Cheers. Hello, SBC. I hope you're all keeping well and safe in these uncertain times. 
I've got a word of encouragement from the message from Matthew 11, verse 29, where it says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And yet we have a picture of Christ inviting us in a personal invitation to walk with him and work with him. Watch how Christ does it. He is our example. And when you think about when you have oxen and they're plowing in a field, in the beginning you'll have a young oxen which they will pair with an older oxen, a more experienced oxen. And you will learn from them, from, from the experienced oxen. As they pair together, they yoke them together. As they're walking, they're saying, work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So that's a personal invitation for um, from Christ and we think we need all the weapons we've got if our, if we, our um, wage is not against flesh and blood and we need to use what we have and that would be our truth and our righteousness and peace, the readiness of peace and, um, and as we're looking into that we are following Christ and our faith is drawing us into Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We ask that you would still our minds and allow us to receive the word be with joey as he brings the word to us and that we would receive it with open hearts we declare that you are the cross the son of the living god amen Hi everyone, welcome to another online service. A particularly big warm welcome to you if you are visiting us for the very first time. Maybe a friend has sent you the link or a family member has got you connected, whatever the, the case might be. It's wonderful to have you with us. And our prayer for you uh, this Sunday has been that God would use the sermon to draw you closer to him and reveal himself to you in a way that is beneficial to your soul. Uh, but also a massive warm welcome to you if you are an SBC congregant. And, uh, and isn't it great that we are still able to meet like this? I know it gets to this point where we're like, man, we just need to meet in person. This is, this is just not enough. Um, and I understand that this is getting a bit tedious and not difficult. But again, when I was preparing this, I just realized, man, what, what would it have been like if we weren't able to meet at all for the last hundred days? That if we didn't have this connection, how would have that looked? And uh, I just realized that this is God's grace in our season, that we still, as a church, are able to meet together, even if it's online, move in a similar direction, have the Lord speak to us, even though we're apart, but yet somehow together and move us in, in the right way as a church. So that when we gather, we are on mission, we're moving in the right direction. Uh, so a massive warm welcome to you. And, and Sterling, our prayer for you has been that God would draw you closer to him as well, that he would shape you and mold you into his image and that he would stir you up with faith so that you might live boldly for the glory of Christ in a season like this. And you might be a shining light into a dark world that desperately needs to hear the good news and the hope that we have in Jesus. So, man, I hope God speaks to you uh, this morning. For those of you who might have missed it, um, we have been has just started off a new series called Songs of Salvation, where we we're going to be looking at a number of Psalms for the next uh, few weeks and just to see what the Lord has to say to us through the Psalms in the season that we find ourselves in. 
Matt kicked us off last week and he started off with probably the most famous psalm of all, uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And he spoke about this countercultural idea uh, that we aren't the captains of our own ship, but rather the authority of our lives is in the hands of another, Yahweh, the Lord. And if we are able to grasp this, if we are able to apply this to our lives and live underneath this authority of Yahweh, then we will be able to uh, live in this incredible sweet spot. Um, so if you missed that sermon, go check it out. Go catch up this week and let it minister to you. It was really, really beneficial uh, to us as a church. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 126. That's Psalm 126. So if you have your Bibles, will you uh, mind open them up? I'm going to be handing over to uh, Warren Bradfield and his family. They're going to be reading to us this text this morning. And once we're done, they're done, they're going to bring it back to me and we're going to unpack this text. So over to you, Warren, and uh, I'll see you guys soon. Greetings, SBC family. Uh, we'll be reading Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. When our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy, then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seeds for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Thanks to the Bradfields, we really appreciate that. The psalm that we find ourselves in this morning, Psalm 126, finds itself a part of the collection of psalms known as the Songs of Ascent. These were songs or psalms that were sung by the Jewish nation as they headed off to Jerusalem to partake in festivals. And as they headed up the hill towards Jerusalem and towards the temple, they would, they would sing these songs with joy and delight and, and they would remind themselves of some wonderful, wonderful truths. Um, these festivals were Passover, it was the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Tabernacles. The psalm that we're looking at, Psalm 126, can be easily broken up into two sections, verses 1 to 3 and then 3 to 4. Verses 1 to 3, there's this clear looking back on the past. There's this remembering of the great things that God had done. There's this reminiscing that's taking place here. You can't help but read um, the, the verse, first three verses and feel the fondness of the past that the psalmist and those who are singing these psalms are, are feeling as they do it. Just listen to it. You, you can hear it. It was like those who dream. It was like a dream to us what happened. You put in our mouths laughter and shouts of joy. There is this reminiscing, this fondness of the good old days, if you will, that took place. And they are wanting that. They are longing for that. They are desiring that. And you can just hear it in their heart. That while they are praising God for what he has done, they are wanting that to take place again. But what we see in verses 4 to 6 is this is a shift that takes place from this longing of the past to happen again to suddenly there's this cry of lament 
a plead, a, a, a desperation in their voice that God would come and rescue them out of their current plight and suffering and that he would restore to them the, part, uh, the past again. There's this real suffering and sorrow that they are wishing to get rid of and have the past joys and experiences that they have. You can just hear that in, in, in these verses as well. Restore to us our, our fortunes, O Lord. Those who sow in tears, he who goes out with weeping. It's a difficult time of suffering. And there's this plea and this cry of God, please, we want the old things to come again. We want the previous fortunes. We want our past joys. We want our past blessings that you have given us, Lord. And I find the psalm is quite relevant for our current season that we find ourselves in. We are definitely in a season of looking back and going, man, I wish we had things of old. God was so good to us. We, we had jobs. We had income. We, we were able to spend time with friends and family. Things that we took for granted, like coming to church and spending time with each other. We could do those things. We, we wish we had our health again. We, we wish we had our freedom to be able to do the things that we used to enjoy so often. This is reminiscing of old. And there is this current suffering that we find ourselves in. And we are wanting God to come and change that. To bring life back to some form of normality. But not just a normal of a, a generalized goodness, but a blessing of the past. That's what we want. And what I'm hoping for us this morning, and I think what the psalm does, is it teaches us how we can ensure that there is a joy that comes and is produced from the sorrow and suffering that we are going through? How can we ensure that we produce a joy even in our suffering, uh, um, our suffering uh, in, that we are going through? And the first thing that we need to uh, know is that there are two ways in the psalm that joy uh, comes. There are two ways in which joy comes that we see in the psalm. And the very first one is that it comes at God's time and by His hand. In God's time and by his hand. Psalm 126 verse 4 says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of Negev. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams of Negev, or Negev, depending on what translation you have. The Negev is a the largest uh, desert region in the southern part of Israel. It is an extremely desolate, dire um, st- place altogether. It's an incredible imagery, uh, right imagery to use in to express suffering and hardship. And what happens is in the winter time in the Negev area, what happens is is this massive flood that takes place. Uh, outpouring of water that just floods the plains and the region and now most of that water will just rush off in, uh, in the dry areas into the Mediterranean but what it does do is it fills up all the springs and all the wells so that uh, habitation might be able to take place in the area it is extremely vital for the negative area and what we understand and learn from just this imagery that is being used here is a number of things is that there is at times, a unexpected, bountiful overflow blessing that can come at the end of a season of suffering. That out of nowhere, like a flood, there can be this outpouring of blessing and joy and fortune that suddenly just changes your situation just like this. But 
It is it only comes by the hand of God and that he is in control of this. Excuse the obvious statement here, but we as humankind and mankind have not been able to, in all our advancements, with all our science, with all our intelligence and inventions, have not been able to figure out how to make it rain. We know how rain works, but we can't make it rain when we want it to rain. I don't know if you know this, but East London at the moment is in an incredibly bad drought. Um, we can do nothing to fill up our dam. So we can do stuff to slow the dam levels from dropping by being cautious with our water, but we can't just say, okay, we're going to fill up our dams with a massive rainfall this evening. It doesn't happen like that. We are completely at the hand of God. And what this uh, psalm tells us is that there is a joy that comes at the end of the suffering, but it does not come by us manufacturing or manipulating God. It is completely by his sovereign hand that he can bring a certain amount of joy. He is in control of this type of joy, a sudden change of blessing. It comes from his hand and his hand alone. And so what that means for us, if we experience this and we experience this outpouring of blessing, it suddenly comes, friend, it is not because you have done it. It is not because you have worked hard and suddenly achieved something that you have experienced this outpouring of blessing and change of fortune. But no, it is rather because it is by the grace of God that you have experienced this. And you ought to praise him and thank him for his gracious work in your life that he can change your fortune in an instant like the streams of Nebuch. And that is important for you to understand. But what is also important for us to stand is that if this is out of the control of God, our control, it is important uh, for us that we see like these psalmists and like the people that sung the song, that we ought to cry out to God and ask him for help. It is not wrong for us in the midst of suffering and difficulty for us to ask God to please change our situation. Now, that does not mean we ought to be anxious or we ought to fret or to worry. But what it does mean is that we can still cry out to him in desperation that he would be gracious to us to change our current situation. But notice that this cry is and this ask and this plead is not a small ask. They're not saying, Lord, just take away the suffering that I am feeling, bring me into a neutral, normal state. But they're saying, Lord, you can take my situation and change it and bless me tremendously. You can take this wretched suffering and turn it into a bountiful fortune and blessing and joy. You're able to change it. And Lord, would you graciously do so? How can they be so confident to praise his praise? They're so confident to pray those prayers because of what we see in verse 2 and 3. What does it say? The Lord has done great things. They know God has done great things in the past. That he has demonstrated his might, his power, his strength in past deliverances, in past salvations. That they can trust that he is able to do so now and bless them abundantly now and bring joy now. And so they trust in the fact that they have a mighty God who is unchanging and that he is able to do it now. And so we in the midst of suffering can pray bold prayers knowing that he has done it in the past and he can do it again. And he can do it again. And our confidence comes in the fact 
that he is unchanging and he can do great things again and he will do great things again. But what this means for us too, church, is that because we can't change the seasons and this is at the hand of God, this type of a bountiful blessing that comes, is that it is very, very possible that God in his goodness and in his sovereignty listens to our cry for plea for change and decides not yet. That he, in his godness and in his ability to see the full picture and him to be able to guide and know where he wants to lead our lives in his goodness and in his steadfast love towards you, might hear your plea for change and he says no. And it's just, we just got to be aware of that, that it just does not mean that God will change it. He is capable and he sometimes will, but he won't always change it. But this is important. And this was important for me today, even as I was thinking of the sermon, as I was getting ready to prepare for it. Just because God says no to our plea for help does not mean he says no to the other, uh, to other promises that he gives us in scripture. Just because God says no to change our situation, um, change our situation from suffering to a bountiful joy doesn't mean that God says no to other things. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is just because God says, no, I won't bountiful bless, give you a bountiful blessing now and restore you with a, a flood of joy like the, the Negev. Uh, what I am going to do and what I still will do is I'll be your comfort. God's promises here, he will still comfort you. He'll still be your rock. He'll still be a place of refuge that you're able to go run and hide in. He'll still be your strength. He will still be there to comfort you. He will still pour out his love upon you. Those things of God haven't changed, even though he has said no to the change of season yet. He's saying, man, I still give you these things. And that's so important for us to understand. An answer to no to a, a prayer of drastic change of a season of suffering is not a no to, I won't uh, uh, comfort you anymore. I won't give you help anymore. Do you, do you get that? That is so important. Because we are still able to come and find a help in the midst of our sufferings. We are still able to come and find the comfort, find the strength, find the refuge, find this solid rock in which our life is, even when the world is crumbling down around us. And so the first way joy comes is it comes by the hand of God in his own time. But the second way, and this way is one we're going to focus on quite a bit, is that it comes through intentional sowing. It comes through intentional sowing. You see it in verses 5 and 6 of the psalm. It says the following, it says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He goes out, our weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This verse is very different to the one that's preceded it. The one that preceded it was by the hand of God that he poured out in his sovereignty and in his will. But in this one, there is an action of going out and being intentional and sowing. Sowing what? Sowing our sorrow. Sowing our weeping. Sowing our hardship. And if we sow it right, there is a couple of implications that come. And that is receiving joy. One of the implications of this, what this means is that it is possible to waste our sorrows. It's possible for us to grieve in such a way, to sorrow in such a way, that if we want to continue on using this imagery of uh, sowing, that we take our seeds and we just dump it on the ground. We just dump our sorrow, we just dump our grief, we just dump our weeping, 
and we then as a result those seeds don't grow those seeds might we might bear one or two little bit of fruit but we don't ever grow and reap the harvest of someone who was intentional in sowing the seed and casting the seed on good and solid ground and the good uh, soil not solid ground good soil so that that might be able to uh, grow and and we might be able to harvest it well it is possible to weep in such a way that we don't uh, reap, uh, so in such a way that we don't reap joy at the end of it. Secondly, what we see from this as well is that it teaches us that uh, joy can be produced by sorrow. That if we sow this well, that our sorrow can produce a joyfulness that that we get a joyfulness in the long run. We can reap fruit from it. We can reap rewards of joy from our sorrow, from our sorrow. So how do we do this? How do we sow well? Because I think that's the importance. We don't want to be a people that just dump our sorrow. We want to be able to sow it in good soil so that we might be able to reap a reward. Now, I must say, just going back a little bit, that this is a partnership with God. While there's an intentional action on our behalf, God still makes a seed grow. If you've done any growing of anything in the past before, if you've sown a seed, there's things that you can do. You can put it in good soil. You can fertilize it. You can water it. You can pull out the weeds. You can make sure the bugs disappear. You can make sure you get rid of all the pests. But at the end of the day, that seed has to grow by itself. You can give it the environment which we want it to do, but the seed grows by itself. And that's where God comes and he makes it grow. And so this is a partnership with God. And the first one was God himself. This one's a partnership with God of an action that we need to be a part of ourselves. So how do we sow and make sure that we aren't just someone who dumps the seed? Uh, The first thing is that what we need to do is we need to reflect on the past. We need to reflect on the past. And we see that in this text. There is this reminiscing and reflecting on the past salvations that God has done for them. And that is so important for us to do. That we are able to look back at the times that God has delivered us and saved us out of difficult, dire states. And if we do that, we will so well. If we do that, what will happen is that there will be an immediate gladness that takes place in our hearts. There will be an immediate gladness that takes place in our heart as we consider the salvations that God has done for us, as we reflect upon that and remind ourselves of all the things that God was able to do. As we look back and see the fact that God saved us out of financial ruin, as we look back and see that he saved our marriage that was on the rocks, as we look back and see how he restored a relationship with a child in the past, as we look back and see how when our life was in the balance, how God helped our health to improve, it helps us to realize that God's character is good and he is right towards us. Because often what happens in the midst of suffering is all the truths about God and who he is sometimes become difficult to believe in, right? When we're suffering and we're going through hardship and a friend or a family member or pastor comes and says, yeah, but God is gracious towards you. He's still good towards you. He's still for you. Those words, while 100% true, are sometimes harder for us to receive and believe in. But when we take a moment and look back at our past sufferings and see how God's hand was in it, how God delivered us, how God came through for us, what happens is we realize from our own experiences those truths about God's character to be true. We realize that God 
is those things because we've experienced it ourselves in our own suffering. Our own past experiences of his salvation highlight his character um, in our present suffering. Let me say that again. Our past experiences of the salvation of God highlights, boldens, underlines, puts in italics his character in our present suffering. And suddenly we realize by looking back in our past, the wonderful truths of God, that he is good towards us in suffering, that he is in control and has a good plan for us, that he still loves us even though we suffer, that he is able to take our moments of suffering and use them for our good and for his glory because we have experienced it ourselves. And that makes a massive difference. And once we start to delight in God again and we realize of his wonderful character, what happens is we start to desire him and long for more of him. As we look back at the past, we long for more of him. We desire him and want to be with him more. We see this in Psalm 143 verses 5 and 6. It says, I remember the days of old. I meditated on it. Uh, all that I have done, all that you have done, I ponder the work of your hands. There's a reflection part. I look back on the past. I think of all the things you've done. I meditate on how you've worked in my life, your incredible work in your hands, uh, and the work of your hands in my life. And what's the result? I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land, Selah. There's this, as I realize what you've done, as I realize your goodness in my life, as I realize all these things that you have done, man, Lord, there's this longing in my heart to have more of you. I want you. I desire you. I thirst for you like a parched land. I, I need water. I need you. There's this desperate desire to have more of God. But what Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 verses Sex is that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and they will be satisfied. When we hunger and thirst for more of God, there is a satisfaction, an immediate satisfaction that takes place because God honors that and he comes and satisfies it in our hearts. There is this immediate gladness that takes place in our hearts as we are satisfied by God. And what also happens is this remembering of past salvations stirs up praise in our hearts. We start praising for what he's done. We see it in the psalm. We find ourselves in the morning as they look back and go, man, look at what he has done. They say he has done great things. They start to praise him for his work. Praise rises in our hearts, even in the midst of suffering for God. And what is the result of that? They say, we are glad. Not we were glad, but we are are glad. There's this immediate gladness that takes place even now in the midst of suffering when we look back and see the past uh, salvations that God has done in our lives. As He has saved us from a marriage that was falling, as He saved us from financial ruin, as He has saved us from a broken relationship, man, God comes in and saves us the way He needs to. And, and we praise Him for it because He has done great things. There's a gladness that takes place now. But you might say to me, Joe, man, as you say those things, I'm trying to just think of my life, of a couple of things that he has done that in, and I just can't. I, I don't have any of those experiences. I don't have any that I can cling to. But friends, I want to say to you, if you're a Christian, you've clearly forgotten about one of the most important. The greatest salvation that you can ponder upon is what Christ has done for you on the cross.
that when you were dead in your sin, that when you were a slave uh, to sin, that when there was you had no hope, you were helpless. God in his mercy and his grace, the God that holds the universe in his hand, looked upon this speck of nothing really that had rebelled against him, that had turned from him, that had rejected him, that had wanted to live for himself or herself. And what God did is that he came and he poured out his love upon us by sending his son Jesus Christ to come and take our punishment that we could not pay so that we might be reunited to him. That he has saved us from death and brought us into life. He has saved us from slavery and made us a child of God. That he saved us from purposelessness and saved us into a purpose for his glory and for our good. When we recall upon this, and and this is the most fundamental thing that we all need to think upon even more so than the past experiences that we have, is that we have been saved by Christ. This here stirs up gladness in our hearts. This here stirs up faith in our hearts. This here helps us to persevere and know that God will never forsake me if he was willing to do this. And so this is so, so important for us to do is to reflect on the work that Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. So important. And if we do that, we'll be able to say, like the words in Job, in Job 8 verse 21, that says, He uh, will once again fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. We can say that confidently as believers in Christ. We can say that confidently if we have been set free from the bondages of sin and been saved into life by Jesus. Why? Because while God might not, in his sovereign hand, he might decide that for the rest of the life, our lives we will suffer and we will, our current state will not change. He might do that. He does promise that through Jesus, this life will come to an end and we will move into eternal life. We will be with him where there'll be laughter in our mouths, where there'll be like a dream. It will, we will shout for joy because of the work of Jesus Christ. This is future hope that we have in Jesus. And it will come and it will happen. He will pour out upon us a blessing because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we can be sure of that. Isn't that wonderful? We can be sure of that because of what Jesus has done. And we can reflect on that and know. Look at what my God has done. Praise Him. I want Him. I desire Him. And gladness and worship and praise and joy will rise up in your heart. Because you know that you have been made right with God. And your suffering will end. And you will be one day in a fullness of joy. And that is where seeds of sorrow are sown. It is sown in the death of Jesus. And reflecting on that is how we do it. And it'll be remiss of me to, to talk about this great salvation and not uh, speak to those who haven't received it yet. Friends, I can say confidently that the current suffering that you're going through, the hardships that you are going through, the difficulties that I am personally not aware of, but I can say confidently that Jesus has compassion on those things. We see that throughout the Gospels, constantly, uh, regularly talks about how Jesus had compassion on the crowd, how Jesus had compassion on this person and that person. And if you look at those people that Jesus had compassion on, there wasn't a particular type that he only had compassion for, but he had for all types of people. 
He had for the, the righteous and the, and the sinful. He had for the good and the bad. He, he had compassion on all people. And so I can confidently say that the suffering and the hardship that you're going through, Christ looks upon that. His heart breaks and he has compassion for you. But may I say, even with more confidence that what Jesus cares about more than your current suffering, your temporal suffering is your future eternal suffering. What Jesus cares about more is not saving you from the suffering you find yourself in, but saving you from an eternal suffering in hell, which you are destined to go to without him. But the wonderful truth of the gospel is that you can come and you can receive him and experience the joy that I was just talking about. That for you in Jesus, that is freely available. The great part of the gospel is that you don't have to leave now and quickly go do a couple of rituals or, or make yourself right or sort out the way you dress or sort out your, your own language or, or sort out your actions or your past uh, things that you've done. The wonderful part of the gospel is that you need to just come as who you are. Come as you are, believe in Jesus, repent from your sin, and he will pay for your sin. He has paid it, he's done it all, all you have to do is receive it. And if you do that, you'll be saved. You'll be saved from eternal suffering into an eternal joy. You'll be saved from eternal suffering into an eternal joy through Jesus Christ. And that is available for you. So the first thing that we need to do is that we need to look back at our past. And then we do so, we will sow these seeds of sorrow and we will see a joy come from it. The second thing is that we need to pursue after his presence. We must remember the context of the psalm. These, uh, the Jewish nation, for those who did not live inside Jerusalem, are all coming towards, uh, um, coming towards Jerusalem to come and offer sacrifices of first fruits, of thank offerings, of sacrifice for sins, for atoning of sins at the temple. They're coming to worship God at the temple. And in the Old Testament, the temple was the primary place of the presence of God. And so they are coming to worship God in his presence. Now, they, even in the midst of suffering, are doing so. They are still coming into his presence in the midst of suffering. Now, that is very different to at least my experience of believers when we suffer. Often, at least in my personal experience and the experience of others, I had to have the privilege to walk through, walk with as they've journeyed through a suffering, is that our tendency is not to run toward God, but to run away from him. And our tendency is to run to other things, run to people, run to friends, who God has graciously given us, but also to run to other substances and joys that might try give us a bit of satisfaction in the moment. It's the reason why many of you try to quit smoking and in the moment of difficulty, a trauma, you suddenly pick up a cigarette and have to smoke because that's where your comfort is. That's where you go to. But what we need to do is we need to run to the presence of God. And the presence of God is not far away. It's not this long pilgrimage that we have to make like we see so in this text. But what we see in other Psalms and other passages of Scripture is that God is incredibly close to us. And all we have to do is turn around and grab him. We see this in a wonderful Psalm. In Psalm 46 verse 1 it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. And when I was uh, a teenager, all the way into my early 20s, I uh, did a lot of life saving. 
Um, I spend hours in the Hoon Lifesaving Shack volunteering uh, at the Lifesaving Club there. I did a lot of competitions. I particularly enjoyed working as a municipal lifeguard in the December holidays, even as a teen and into my varsity uh, stint so that I could make extra uh, money. Uh, but there's a number of things that I learned uh, while I was a lifeguard. And the first, one of the th things that I've learned was that there are good lifeguards and there are bad lifeguards. And what I mean by good lifeguards or bad lifeguards is I'm not talking about their fitness or their skill. There's a rigorous test that you have to pass, a fitness test, and also you get tested on your CPR and a number of, and a number of different other aspects as well. And every person that you see on the beach uh, during December holidays working as a lifeguard, most of them if they have passed that test, they have, they've all done it. So there, while there's a varying degree of skill, um, there, is still a, um, there is still a competency in terms of fitness and, and skill level. But what I mean by a good lifeguard and a bad lifeguard is I soon realized that bad lifeguards are the lifeguards that sit in the lifesaver shack when the beach is full. They enjoy the comfort of a couch, they enjoy uh, the warmth of being inside a building or the shade or the coolness of being inside a building and they will sit there and watch from a distance the beach if they're not distracted reading magazines and talking to each other. But a good lifeguard is a lifeguard who's right on the beach. He's right where the people are at. He's there watching the beach. He's there with his torpedo boy. He's there with some craft that he needs. And there are one or two of them that are sitting there, either on the tower on the beach, watching the beach constantly and moving people into the right areas where necessary. They are very present. But what I love about this text is that God is not just present. He is very present. He is not just on the beach, but he is right there with you. He's not there with his torpedo boy watching you from a distance at the water, but rather he's in the water with you, rubbing shoulders with you. And in the moments of distress, in the moment of trouble, the text says that you, he's right there. All you have to do is turn around and grip him. All you have to do is grab onto him and he will be there. Your very present help in a time of trouble. We need to, in moments of trouble, not run away from God, but turn around and grip onto him, pursue after his presence. And in doing so, we sow our seeds of sorrow and we start to reap and harvest that joy. We see in Psalm, uh, Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, You make known to me the paths of life, and in your presence there's a fullness of joy. And at your right hands there are pleasures forevermore. By turning and pursuing after the presence of God in sorrow, we sow that sorrow so that we might reap some joy. And lastly, uh, I think the, the way we do this is by looking to Jesus. The last way we sow the sorrow um, so that we might reap joy is by looking to Jesus. Jesus is an incredible example to us on how you sow sorrow in order to reap joy. We see this expressed in that passage again, Hebrews 12 verse 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross and despised the shame, so that he, because in doing so, sowing, so that he might reap joy. So he might reap joy for and harvest joy for himself. But Jesus didn't only harvest joy for himself in doing this, but he also harvested joy uh, for us. 
Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was substitutionary by nature. And as a result, as he bore pain and suffering upon himself, he's reaping of that also. Our pain now suffering upon himself, he also reaped joy for us, reaping the joy of eternal life and being in the full presence of God. And so we can look to Jesus as our, our perfect example on how we are, ought to um, suffer and sow seed um, in, 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 in this moment so that we might reap joy. And the first thing that we do is, as Jesus' our example is one thing that happens is that there is no guilt. We learn to suffer with no guilt. When we look to the cross and see Jesus has died and paid for all our sins and is taking the full punishment of our sins upon himself, so we realize that the suffering that we are going through is not a punishment of God because of our sin. And so that we can suffer not thinking, man, I've done something wrong and God is angry with me and we, we bear the suffering with guilt upon it as well, but rather that we can suffer with no guilt. And when we suffer with no guilt, we start to sow seeds of that suffering so that we might reap joy. The second thing is when we look to Jesus as our example, is that we suffer with no self-pity and anger. When we look at the cross and see that Jesus has died for us, it becomes very difficult in our own suffering to shout, How dare you! How dare you allow me to go through this? Because what we see on the cross is that Jesus suffered far greater than we have and he suffered on our behalf. And so when we see that Jesus has suffered on our behalf and suffered far greater than we have, we start to let go of our own self-pity and anger. And when we suffer with no self-pity and anger, we start to sow that sorrow and so that we might reap joy. Also, when we look to Jesus um, and we see him suffering, we suffer with a, a real uh, sense of patience. And this is often what we struggle with. We, we struggle to suffer with patience because we don't know when the end is happening, right? We think that the suffering we're going through is going to last forever. And as a result, we don't know the outcome. We don't know the end. We can't see it like God sees it. And therefore, we, we, we battle to suffer with patience. But when we look at Jesus and we look at the cross, what we notice is that what the disciples saw was a tragic event. They saw the Messiah being killed, not the way they expected it to go. How can any good come from this? But three days later, the greatest good of mankind had ever been experienced or ever experienced happened, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, so that we too one day will be raised again. And so when we look at the cross, we start to suffer with patience because we know that God is in control and he will bring good out of this for us. So when we look to Jesus as our example, it helps us to suffer uh, with no guilt. It helps us to suffer with no self-pity and helps us to suffer with patience. And when we get that right, we start to sow our seeds of sorrow so that at the end we will reap the joy and we will become more joyful as a result of it. So if we get those things right, looking back to the past, pursuing his presence and looking to Jesus as our example, we'll be able to sow the seed very well. And I just want to make one, one last comment and one last observation is that if we get this right, what is going to happen is that we and our suffering becomes a joyful witness to the rest of the world. Our joy becomes a witness to how great God is. We see that in this text in verse 2. 
It says that then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The, the nations saw how God had changed the situation, how God had brought them from a place of suffering to a place of joy, how they went through these incredible hardships to suddenly they were joyful people and they've gone, their God has done great things. The world starts to notice the things that God has done. And so when we suffer and when we sow that suffering and we reap joy, we give testimony to the fact that our God is great. But not only that, we also give testimony to how great and desirable our God is. Because what the world longs for is they long for a true, unwavering, lasting joy. And they, they, they're seeking for it. They, they want it. They're seeking it in things. They're seeking it in money. They're seeking it in people. They're seeking it in experiences. And as they taste those things, it does not satisfy. It doesn't give them what they want. But when we suffer and we go through hardship and we sow it and we reap that joy, the world sees that and goes, even in suffering, even through it, they have joy and that's what I want I want this lasting joy isn't it incredible that our suffering does not have to be pointless our suffering and hardships that we go through doesn't have to be a pointless exercise but rather we can reap joy lasting joy from it but also that we might bring glory to God that others might come and find a satisfaction in him that others might pursue him that others might come and taste of him because of our suffering and how it has produced joy oh man that's what our goal needs to be, that we can suffer and sow that suffering so that it might produce a joy that testifies and gives testimony to the greatness of our God and how desirable he is. That the world will see, the world will come, the world will taste, and he will get more glory. Oh man, that's what we need. That's what we need to go after. Church, I hope this has been an encouragement to you this morning. Pursue after joy in suffering by looking at the past and seeing his great things, by pursuing after his presence, by looking to Jesus at your example so that you might not suffer with guilt or any self-pity, but rather with patience, so that you might be a radiant joy to this world and that God might be glorified. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we are incredibly grateful for the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. We are thankful, Lord, that we have been able to draw close to you and that we might know you, that we might experience the joy of your presence that comes through Jesus. And Lord, we, we realize that the, what you have called us to in this moment might be a moment of, of suffering. But Lord, what we ask is that you'll be gracious, that you would pour out your blessing and, and pour out your joy upon us like the Negev. That, Lord, you would do it and do it in abundance upon us. That you would change our seasons. That you will change it in a moment. That you would take this, um, this evening of weeping and make it a, joy, a morning of joy. In a moment, in an instant, we ask. Oh, but, Lord, we trust you. And we know that you are good. We know that you are mighty. 
that we know that you have a steadfast love toward us. And if your uh, will is that that will not happen to us, Lord, we pray that you would give us the ability to sow our sorrow and sow it well. That, Lord, we would see the great things that you have done and that would stir up faith in our hearts and we would be glad now that we would sow our seed of sorrow. That we would pursue after your presence and enjoy the joys of being close to you, even in the midst of our suffering. That we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, that we would not waver off him for a moment. That we would suffer with no guilt, no self-pity and anger, but rather with patience, knowing that you are in control. And Lord, that we would reap the joy, that we would reap the joy of this harvest of suffering. So that the world would see you, that the world would know you. They would see you for who you are. They would desire you and come after you and seek you and taste of you. Oh Lord, do not let our sorrows be purposelessness. Purposeless. Let them have a point. Let them have a purpose for your glory, we pray. We ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.